Welcome to the Tap Into Safety podcast, where Dr. Suzanne Barn, CEO and co-founder, discusses the latest research, reports and interesting topics to help health and safety, human resource and training professionals in their efforts to keep every worker safe every day. Hi everyone and thanks for joining me. Today I'm going to discuss preventing workplace injuries and controlling risk. Controlling risk to prevent work-related fatalities, injuries, diseases and ill health is a core role of the safety professional. Legislation governs the duty to control workplace risk and looks for organisations to do more than just compliance activities. A chapter published by the Australian Institute of Health and Safety explores the underpinning principles of controlling risk. The law does not require a risk-free environment where accidents never happen, but instead requires employers to take such steps as are practicable to provide and maintain a safe working environment. The safety professional must consider controlling risk to decrease the probability or likelihood that hazards become uncontrolled and they need to mitigate the effects of the consequences of risks. Several principles underpin the strategies for controlling risk. This podcast summarises requisite variety, the hierarchy of controls, time sequence approaches, barriers and defences, the precautionary principle and the socio-technical systems approach to controlling risk. I also offer some control strategies that health and safety professionals can use. The first principle to controlling risk discussed in the chapter is requisite variety. Risks in organisations can be understood to arise from the interaction of people, equipment and systems, and can be dealt with only by using a sufficient variety of control actions to cover all the possible ways that the system can go wrong. Controlling risk is generally via setting rules. However, the variety of rules we develop to govern safe behaviour will always be less than the variety of unsafe situations. A way around this is to provide the capacity to adapt rules to local circumstances, while still achieving your organisational goals. This is where continuous consultation with all relevant stakeholders is important when making decisions about controlling risks. Now we can't talk about controlling risk until we mention the hierarchy of controls. The hierarchy of controls underpins health and safety legislation and it's a global concept to help in controlling risk. The hierarchy of controls establishes the priority order to consider hazard and risk controls. The Australian hierarchy of controls pyramid has six levels. It actually makes a distinction between isolation and engineering controls where the OSHA five level pyramid places these two together. So I'm going to discuss the six levels. You must always aim to eliminate the risk which is the most effective control. And if it's not reasonably practicable, you must minimise the risk by working through the other alternatives in the hierarchy. Administrative controls and PPE are the least effective at reducing risk because they don't control the hazard at the source and they rely on human behaviour and supervision. So just going through the hierarchy quickly, elimination is your top level control. The question is, is it possible to physically eliminate the hazard? Using this control, the hazard becomes void and therefore doesn't expose employees to a risk of injury. The second level is substitution. 
Is it possible to replace the hazard, for example, changing the equipment or tools used to perform a hazardous task? Number three in the Australian hierarchy is isolation. Can we isolate or separate the hazard or hazardous work practices from people not involved in the work or the general work areas? For example, by marking off hazardous areas, installing screens or barriers. Number four, engineering controls. Can we use machinery and devices to remove the hazard? For instance, use mechanical devices such as trolleys or hoists to move heavy loads, or place guards around moving parts of machinery, or install residual current devices, or you could set work rates on a production line to reduce fatigue or install sound dampening measures to reduce exposure to unpleasant or hazardous noise. The two lower level controls are administrative controls and PPE. So looking at administrative controls, is it possible to change the process or the way that employees perform a hazardous task? This type of control is highly dependent on workers following the preventative process and they remain at risk of a workplace injury. And finally, personal protective equipment or PPE is it possible to provide PPE that will protect employees from the hazard? However, relying on PPE to protect your employees is the last line of defence against a workplace injury because too often PPE is forgotten, ill-fitting or doesn't provide the appropriate level of protection. However, it's not uncommon to use PPE together with the higher order controls. The next area is looking at the time sequence factor. Causation models often feature a time sequence factor that provides a framework to develop risk control strategies. Generally, a time sequence commences from an incident, which is your preconditions, the incident itself, which is your occurrence, and extends to including damage and injury outcomes, which is your consequences. It is useful when performing accident investigations because it helps you to understand what happened and when. So for example, controlling risk in the preconditions phase would include control of specific hazards, such as chemical or biological hazards that cause specific diseases or initiate responses such as asthma. System-wide occupational health management strategies integrated into your OH&S management systems and health promotion activities focusing on individual vulnerabilities and causal factors. Controlling risk in the occurrence phase includes an adaptive response by a competent operator as a process variable starts to move outside the safe parameters. Active management of the individual by medical and other health professionals once a medical condition presents, for example, management of a lead worker. And finally, system-wide operational health interventions. Controlling risk in the consequence phase includes support for injured workers and others who may be affected and return to work strategies. Now there are three categories of barriers that you can draw on when controlling risk, but they vary in their level of effectiveness. The first is technical barriers, and these are highly effective because they can prevent risk escalation, attenuate the risk, mitigate its consequence or reduce its likelihood. These barriers are generally included in the design or the retrofit of the process or structure. The second is human organisational barriers and these have medium effectiveness. They contribute to the control of the process or activity 
and reduce the likelihood of initiating events by reinforcing barriers or preventing their decay. But such barriers can degrade over time and they need to be routinely reviewed. The third area is fundamental barriers and they are low in their effectiveness. These are barriers that are separated in time from threat initiation and risk realisation. Fundamental barriers contribute to system safety by checking for system weaknesses and any underlying or latent failures. Another approach that you can use is a socio-technical systems approach. Health and safety performance and controlling risk are influenced by internal and external factors. The first is the system climate or the environment in which the organisation operates and it includes economic and regulatory requirements. External pressures affect the organisation and management needs to keep informed of relevant impacts and legislative changes. An organisation safety culture is an important mechanism linking external forces to its approach to safety. Next we have organisation and management, which includes structures, objectives, targets, strategies, etc. operating within the organisation. It defines safety policy and systems. Number three is control, communication and feedback processes. These ensure that the system operates according to its intended goals and identifies deviations from those goals so that appropriate corrections can be made. Next, we have operator reliability, which covers the required competence, which is the skills, knowledge and motivation of staff to meet task demands imposed by technology, procedures and other external constraints. But competence and work demands need balancing. And finally, there's engineering reliability, and this refers to the design and maintenance of the plant or system. Now, there will always be situations where full or sufficient health and safety information on a hazard is unavailable. And in such cases, the precautionary principle should be adopted. This principle states that where there are threats of serious or irreversible health or environmental damage, lack of full scientific certainty shall not be used as a reason for postponing cost-effective measures to prevent environmental damage. So let's look at some risk strategies that you can use. To design appropriate strategies when controlling risk, you need to consider the size and profitability of your organisation as well as the safety maturity level. What is suitable for a multinational organisation may not be appropriate for a small business. What may be appropriate controls for an organisation at a reactive maturity level will not be enough for one at a proactive stage. And as organisations improve their safety systems, the type of accidents that they need to control also changes. Therefore, control strategies have to be dynamic and adapt to the organisation during all stages of its life cycle. Consequently, as a health and safety professional, you need to be able to use a range of system views to suit the complexity of any situation. Successful control of risk requires an in-depth understanding of hazards and the physical, organisation and psychosocial environment. Therefore, you need an understanding of the psychological principles that explain the behaviour of workers as individuals and in groups. Also, you need to seek a richness of information to identify and understand the risks. So when assessing the control measures to use, you need to use a variety of tools that match various situations. 
For example, for hazards such as working at heights, you can obtain good results by following the legislated guidelines. For organisations with low safety maturity that do not have safety systems or processes in place, you should use traditional approaches. Some examples include training workers and supervisors, assessing risk and providing basic controls. These should provide significantly improved safety outcomes. But at the beginning, you need to identify the safety maturity of your organisation to know what appropriate control strategies you can use, which in most cases will not be best practice. But at the very minimum, organisations need to comply with the relevant legislation. However, to add value, you should try to develop strategies to increase the maturity levels of your organisation and become an organisational change agent. And finally, you have to monitor the effectiveness of any control strategy that you implement. This means including performance measures into the design of the controlling risk strategy. Where possible, you should quantify in monetary or statistical terms. These terms are the main language of management and essential if you're to convince them to change and accept that safety is the way we do things around here. To wrap up this podcast, let's do a little summary. Controlling risks to prevent work-related fatalities, injuries, diseases and ill health is complex and control measures need to be comprehensive. There are several approaches you can take to control risk before during and after an incident occurs. You need to be informed by knowledge of barriers and defences and how they may break down or be breached. Socio-technical system models provide a broad-based approach that reflects the requisite variety of strategies to address the complexity of causation. You should be up to date with current health and safety knowledge because providing advice on appropriate ways of controlling risk is your fundamental role. This is not an easy task and I wish you every success as champions of safety. You have been listening to Dr. Suzanne Barn, CEO and co-founder of Tap Into Safety. If you would like to read more about this topic and other related topics or to contact them for more information, please visit their website at www.tapintosafety.com.au. If you'd like to hear more of these podcasts, search for Tap Into Safety on iTunes or your favourite podcast provider. Until the next time, we hope you keep safe and well.